Hello everyone, it's the Wine Hour, the talk show that removes your wine anxiety. A warm welcome to all of you. Rebel, shake the establishment, scream your differences, voice your heart. Rebel, nobody will let you because you are a threat to the established order. They will not let you have a seat at the table. They would not let your voice be heard. Rebel, your voice, your words, your thoughts have power. They know it and it scares them. The establishment wants to protect whatever they have gained. Their raison d'être is to perpetuate their position. It is not about voicing something different. It's the status quo. Rebel, changes in society have taken place because someone somewhere believed, saw things differently and did not settle for the status quo. The rebels thought that the powers that be would see the same way as they do. And it, then it hit them. They don't, or at least they don't want to. They got where they are because once they were the change makers, the rebels, now with time, their vested interests have evolved. And it's more important to protect these interests than advance society or new ideals. Rebel, if you long for a more humane society, for equality, for justice, for the protection of the environment, for the expression of your culture, your identity, a better world, then there is no other way than express loudly and firmly your beliefs because you are not alone. There are many people who can take on the fight for many reasons, but are waiting for someone to take the lead. You are not alone because people see the truth when exposed to it. They sense it, they feel it, and will do everything they can to support it. If you feel it is your role, then be that voice. So many are longing to hear it, rebel. So here's the menu of today's show. First, in On Cork, Jamie, Akosh, and Ray will talk about the risk of great wine regions like Burgundy and Napa Valley to lose you know, nude wine drinkers because of the ever-escalating prices. Then in License to Taste, Tanisha will give you a primer on Grenache. And in the wine minute, she will tell you about her thoughts on young people and wine. And finally, in Have a Drink With Me, I have the pleasure to welcome our special guest, Pepe Raventos. Now, before we start, let me introduce you to today's cast. Coming from San Sadurni Danoya, it's a marvelous honor, a privilege, and uh, to welcome the 21st generation winemaker and rebel, Pepe Raventos. Good evening, Pepe. Good evening, Antoine. Thank you very much for having a humble producer for all the way from Penedes into your uh, fantastic show. I am a little bit nervous because even after 500 years and 21 generations, I don't figure out how to follow these uh, internet shows. Don't worry, we neither. We, we just play along. <laughs> what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, I am drinking a beautiful, uh, a beautiful uh, Seritas uh, 17 that a friend of mine, Chardonnay, brought uh, a couple of weeks ago here when, oh. when he visited from New York. V very nice. Thank you. And now they are back. The four of them, the wine dream team. They make wine interesting, fun, controversial, funky and everything in between. So from our global virtual studio, let me introduce you. We're starting because we're in the old world. We're starting from Europe. Our Parisian rebel redefining how we talk about wine in France, Dame uh, Tanisha Thompson. Good evening, Tanisha. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Yes, we're happy to see you. You have a glass, anything to uh, accompany you? No. Yes. What is it? It is Garnacha Blanca. Ah, okay, great. We'll talk about that afterwards. 
an hour. Coming from London via Montalcino, the rebel who fought the English, the British institutions of wine distributors. Beautiful conversation we had on the One on One podcast, Mr. Akosh Fortzek. So what are you having in Italy, I guess, in Italian wine? I am having uh, this amazing producer, which is called Il Maronetto and the Madonna della Grazia, Brunello di Montalcino, which is an amazing bottle of wine. So, yeah, I feel very privileged after having eaten about one and a half kilos of boar. But hey... (laughs) You're not a vegan. Okay. Uh, now we're crossing the Atlantic. You can't be, you can't be in Tuscany. <laughs> Coming from New York City, the rebel of prose writing in the world of wine, bringing his sense of style and humor uh, and what it all does, uh, Mr. Ray I. Thank Good you. Afternoon, Ray. Yes, afternoon. I mean, it's gray and dark outside. It looks like <laughs> night, but, but it is afternoon. And I'm drinking some very lovely Moulin Avant from Thibault Leger Bellet. Oh, um, nice. Nice, 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 uh, nice Beaujolais. Now, we're crossing now the whole continental US. From uh, St. Helena via the Universal Studios and the Harry Potter theme, she's in a magic mood these days. She's bringing change in, div- in diversity, in inclusion in the world of wine. Mrs. Jeannie Orao. Good afternoon, Jeannie. Hello. Well, sort of, just afternoon. I don't know. I'm spending a week on spring break with two teenagers, so it's basically breakfast time here. Nice. Nice. Now, uh, before we move on, I'm not asking what you're drinking because I saw the kind of things you had didn't look very exciting. It's very sad. It's very yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's only one week, so Com- commiserations. <laughs> <laughs> if everyone is ready, grab a glass of wine, chai, tea, anything, just a toast to all of you. Cheers. And now let's enjoy the show and relax. Here we go. Today's Encore is about the risk of great wine regions like Burgundy and Napa Valley to lose new wine drinkers because of those ever-escalating prices. Now, before we start, as usual, I'm going to run a very quick poll. Uh, Three simple questions. Uh, We'll look at the answers uh, afterwards. Ray, you had the beautiful idea for this this topic. (laughs) So I I will let you start. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something that's been on my mind a lot. I, I think because of a lot of our readers are, are you know, but don't buy expensive wines. They buy affordable wines and they're just getting into wine. And they think, you know, it's, they're learning about wine by spending 25 bucks a bottle or something. And at this point, a 25 buck a bottle Napa Cabernet more or less doesn't exist. And a 25 buck a bottle village, even Bourgogne Rouge doesn't, almost doesn't exist. Village Burgundy, certainly not. And, and, and so, uh, it sort of struck me that, you know, when I was getting into wine, which admittedly is, you know, 9 million years ago now, um, <laughs> it's, you know, the, the benchmarks that I tasted regularly were, were Napa, um, Burgundy, Bordeaux. And, and I, you know, if I were the grad student now that I was then, there's no way I'd be able to afford those wines. So I was kind of, it, and it kind of made me wonder, you know, it's like, 
what what then happens to to young people who are learning about wine? Do they do they lose touch with these kind of you know great regions in the world? Um, I mean, certainly. A lot of young people I know in the business in New York get drink a lot of natural wine because they can afford it, and they and they find it you know interestingly transgressive and kind of cool. And um, but they don't drink a lot of Napa Cabernet. Um, they drink you know they team up to buy Burgundy. You know, um, so it's a it's a it's a it's a perplexing question to me, and one I've given a lot of thought to. In in that I'm writing for an audience that a lot of which is is kind of learning about wine for the first time. Um, and I don't have an answer. I haven't figured out what to do about it. Um, I don't think Napa can suddenly like drop the prices of grapes to $1,200 a ton. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> right. Akosh, as a distributor, do, do, you, do you face that issue? Yes, yes, we do. And that goes through uh, from our perspective uh, in a different than you, Ray, because uh, for us, clients change. So if you can't afford that, there'll be others who will. And that is really basically what's happening. And I would like to say that I, there are two different types of producers. Those who will continue the ladder in a super fast way, which meaning they're going to raise their prices by 40%, 30%, 50% from one year to another for no, no apparent reason other than that they can really. And uh, there are the others who have been around for a long time and their view is to say, you know what? We are going to sell the wine. I understand that if I never touched my wines, not my grapes, and I rented out the vineyards to someone at a big name, you know, a big negociant or whatever, I would make more money than bottling it myself. Despite of all that, I'll go through the trouble and I'm actually price my wines at the level where people are going to be able to drink it. It's very rare, but when you, when you when, and we find a few of them and we still work with them, but there is really, there's a two tier system when it comes to winemakers those who really go for the money and don't care and in there you have a change of uh, of consumers because simply people fall out and they can't afford it anymore versus other people who will say i still want my customers to be able to drink my wine and they keep the prices at an affordable level but oh, yeah. these are the minority okay jamie as a as a wine producer from Napa? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Guilty as charged. Um, no, I mean, I think this brings up a lot of different issues for me. One um, is that I think that to Ray's point, um, the grad, the 25-year-old grad student is actually, has, has a much broader world of wine than you or I did when we were doing our grad studies. Um, and so I think instead of having like cheaper Burgundy and then moving on to expensive Burgundy or cheaper Napa moving on to expensive Napa, you're starting off with cheaper natural wine or cheaper Chilean or cheaper whatever it is and maybe moving into more expensive wines and regions as you progress, if you progress. I mean, that's the other thing. There are a lot of consumers who just are very happy with their Boda box and and don't want to learn anymore or go any further. And that's fine. And, and I think the wine world needs to be expansive enough to include all of those consumers. Um, but also, you know, I think that there's a really interesting question here um, about, you know, particularly for Burgundy and, and Napa. I mean, I think Bordeaux is a little different because Bordeaux is so vast. Right. It's so enormous that they can make a little tiny entre deux mer or whatever um, in a kind of a weird place and, and it can probably be cheap. But Burgundy and Napa are so tiny. We have such a small, um, 
kind of square acreage that can be planted to grapes, that the price of the land is high. Um, and I think we're also in a discussion right now about what it actually takes to make wine in a sustainable way. When I say that, it's not just environmental, it's also our people, right? If we're paying living wages and if we're actually treating the earth as we should, then we're going to have a much more elevated cost of doing business. Um, and I think it's a little bit like the restaurant industry post pandemic, you know, this idea that, um, you know, yeah, okay, you can pay whatever, $1.50 for a taco, but that's not what it costs unless you're doing some really dodgy things either in your sourcing or with your people. So yeah. um, I, I think there's also a really important educational bit about explaining to people that it's not just, yes, of course, there are people who, who gouge because they can, but the vast majority of us, we're charging what we can to try and make sure that everybody um, has a good life. And I, and I think that that's an important message that hopefully can actually attract some of these younger consumers into the high end as they go on in their lives and, and budgets, hopefully, um, because it's not just about being fancy, but it's about actually drinking um, responsibly. Pepe, I would like to ask you a question about this. The fact that those regions are getting higher and higher prices, is that a plus for regions like yours in, in Catalonia uh, in terms of, of where you, the way you can position yourself in, in the market? You know, you know. Um, uh, I think, I think uh, this question is important, and you're making me <laughs> reflect a lot. Eh? Uh, just, uh, just my view, but uh, there, there is a bit too much, um, too much shit in all this pricing thing. You know, and mm -hmm. and um, I think wine should be in a way like music. You know, like you can hear like the best beautiful song from this great artist that is in a great moment, and you don't have to pay more. Than from a song that is not so good, no? And, and the only difference maybe, or the biggest difference is that it comes from the nature, right? And I think for me, when wine becomes real estate business, it annoys me a little bit, you know? Um, uh, I, I, I am very, very upset with the luxury part in the wine business. It's a big misconception. And, and I have done the mistake also, like a winemaker, you can charge a lot of money for a bottle of wine that you really like a lot, but some, in somehow you are using price to position your wine as better. And this is the shitty part. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. I agree with you. But at the end of the day, consumers understand two things, image and price. And these two are very, very closely related to each other. And it's sad to say, but this is what they respond to. And there is also... What people don't like to speak about it as from the winemaker's perspective, simply called greed. It's basically very simple. You raise your price because you can. That's all. Your cost didn't go up that much, but you just jack up your price by 30, 40%. You know why? Because your neighbor did the same thing and you don't want to feel that you are left behind. And I, I see that happening all the time. So you mean, you mean that uh, the wine business is, is, is just a business like any other business where, where greed no and profit is, is the most important marker, basically? No difference. No difference. No difference. I don't know. I mean, I think, that's true for all winemakers. Um, yeah. I think it's also a little different when you have a much younger region. Um, we don't have hundreds and hundreds of years worth of, of land ownership. Um, to fall back on. We're actually a lot of us 
trying to either buy grapes or land. And that's the most expensive part, right? Um, I always say, you know, if you want to do like really awesome marketing and make tons of profit, please go into spirits or beer because your cost of goods is so much smaller <laughs> per bottle than with wine because it just is a more expensive product to make. Um, and, and if we had land that we didn't have to pay for, I think it would be a very different game. Yeah, it's a, it is interesting though because I was I just did a tasting down in 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 South Carolina for a, a audience that was not not a trade not even close to a trade audience. It was a lot of people who were just getting into wine, and you know we had a couple of cabernets from one producer, one of which was their basic cabernet, which is about fifty bucks, and their top cabernet, which is one hundred and eighty, and it all comes off, comes off land they own. And one of the, one of the people in the audience is like, I just I, I've always wondered like why why is this wine one hundred and eighty and this one is fifty? Is it is it does it cost more to make it? And, and the answer, of course, is it doesn't cost, certainly doesn't cost 130 bucks a bottle more to make it. Um, so, you know, and I, <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, and so I, I explained, you know, that this is, you know, in, this is how wine is priced. It could, they could, they could do it at 120, they could do it at 140, they could, you know, um, uh, they decided that that's the place it should be as a price point. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that thing where you get a luxury pricing, which is not, you know, it's not cost of goods related. It's, you know, the same thing with an Armani suit An Armani suit doesn't cost $1,800 worth of, of, of material to make it. Um, it, it costs X amount of material and Armani, um, you know, and it's more finely made than, than some suits, but it's not, $1,500 more were finally made. And so it's a good yeah. question. But I, think, but I think, Ray, I, I totally agree with you. But at the same time, having worked at LVMH, I yeah. know that, in, and they are definitely like a profit center, right? I mean, it is the wine business at LVMH is a profit center and it makes peanuts on the dollar compared to the fashion business. Right, peanuts. right. So that is even if you're pushing it as far as you can, we're still not, it's not like we're sitting there like, counting our millions on our little hills of gold. Um, oh, admit it, you are. My Zobian blog, for example, yeah. I, I lose money on. Like if I yeah. do the math, I actually lose money selling every single bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. And that's at consumer pricing, not even trade pricing, which is lower. Um, but I feel it's really important to have that price point there to help people actually be able to access the wines and so my cabernet is a little bit more expensive than maybe it costs to make but at the same time as a full holistic business it's actually sustainable mm -hmm. um so i think there's also that too it, it, it's pricing is a really complicated question i'm not saying that there aren't unscrupulous people out there of course there are but i also think that that it's a little more complicated than just how much does this one bottle cost to make? Because the costs oh, yeah. of the business are yeah. vast. Is it part of the image? Is it part really that you need to have yes, the image of, of high end so that you know yes. people are dreaming about this, but they can't afford it, so they're going to go and buy something a bit cheaper from the same producer? Wine is, is never. Wine is always. Wine is always a luxury good because nobody needs wine. But I need. I need wine. <laughs> I need yes. wine. <laughs> yeah, we we all do, Ray. We all do. My wine. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're right. It is. It's not. An, it's not a. It's not. You know. Um. You won't die if you don't have it. Um. 
I agree, but I disagree as well. Because yeah. you die if you don't have wine. I'm sorry. It's 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 really like I'm sorry. But joke apart, come back to what Ray's point initially was. We're losing a young audience, definitely. The young audience simply cannot afford today's prices. It's impossible. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, but they don't have to drink ever. Burgundy or Napa. No, yeah, but, but yes, definitely not. But, you know, their education has to go through all the different wine regions. And sure enough, yes, you have great wine regions that you, they can afford. But, you know, my view is these people, our children have to be able to grow up where they should be able to experiment even those wines that are unique in the world. But it's impossible because they cost a car or a deposit to a house. It's impossible. It's finished. I mean, that's, I, I don't see how, unless we buy them for, we buy the wines for them, how on earth they will be able to experience that, experience that. I just don't see it. I generally don't. But that's always been the case, Akos. There's always been super high-end wines that not everybody can afford. Yeah, but we, we, we did, we, I'm, talking, I'm talking just a village wine, Burgundy, or even a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. No, but I'm Not even that, top producer one, you know what I mean? Just a but basic those one. The, you know those what I mean? aren't the entry-level wines anymore. The entry-level wines are now from Chile. They're from Mexico. They're from all these different places. They're from China. Well, no, actually, because Chinese wines are actually remarkably expensive. <laughs> I want to say, like, it's very expensive, you know? Yeah, but exactly. But, but uh, I, and, I, and I think that's great that, like, these younger wine consumers are actually trying wines from all over the world. I think that's really cool. They're developing a palette that is, is so much more interesting than ours were able to be because we just didn't have, I mean, I know Jess Robinson always says, she's like, if I had to pass the master of wine today, I don't know if I, that I could do it. You know, when yeah, she did it, not. there were yeah. like three, maybe four wine regions she had to really know, but it's exciting for me. You're right, you're right. But the question, the question what Ray said, what will happen to Napa and Burgundy and Bordeaux. And the point is they are losing and they're going to lose young consumers. And the ones who can, they will have a very only certain type of consumers, which is a shame, but that's fine. It's good for the other ones. It's good for the Grüne Wettliners. It's good for the, you know, the whatever, the Friuli wines and the other ones that are affordable. That's good all I'm saying. wine from Catalonia. <laughs> exactly. Whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. Well done. Yeah, yeah no, but it's, it, it, We've it's, never been busier. It's it's yeah. important. It's important. I think that unfortunately, there's always going to be those those regions or those brands that are going to be out of touch for most of the people, whether it's in wine or other other industries, and we just have to live with it. It's not because you're driving a car that you have to drive a Ferrari. I just not say that the Ferrari is the best car in the world, but it's it's, it's the same thing in in a sense. And like you can, you know, rent a Ferrari for a day if that's really your aspiration, even if you can't afford it. Yeah. People do, you know, like I said, we've never been busier. People come to Napa all the time. Mm. And maybe, yeah. you know, they come and taste all these wines that they can't necessarily afford to buy on a regular basis, but they can still experience them, which is nice. Yeah. Let, let me share you the, the, the results of, of the, the poll. So very simple question. Are you price sensitive when you purchase wine? Yes, uh, 50%, depending on the wine, probably the, uh, the, the origin, if, if you're looking at cheap wines or, or high-end wines. Um, are the price increases on Napa or Burgundy uh, wines a deterrent? 75% of the people says yes. And uh, have the price increases led you to discover a new region? 75% say yes. So what we're talking about which is basically, yes, they are going to deter from our small sample, but they are going to deter people from buying them. But at the same time, they're going to give an opportunity for others 
to discover them. Uh, just one one last thing, Ray. In terms of the the stories that you that you that you that you that you showcase in in food and wine, are you more interested in the high ends or the things that are that people can actually purchase? I, well, in general, I'm more interested in things that people can actually actually purchase. I mean, for our readership, I write primarily about wines that are of you know, affordable, which doesn't mean inexpensive. I mean, it could be anywhere from $50 and under. I do write occasionally about higher end wines. Um, I have to balance it out. Um, what I try to do is write about wines that um, aren't generic manufactured crap. <laughs> you know, so, um, so I, you know, whether it's $15 or $45 or $100, I want it to be, you know, to have an actual thinking person behind it who has some aesthetic sensibility and it comes from a place, you know? Um, so, so that's, that's the, the, the key thing to me. I have to, when food and wine's readership is so big, it's, you know, it's a circulation of millions, readerships like 7 million. There are people in the trade who buy super expensive wines who subscribe to our magazine. And there are people who buy, who like go to the grocery store once a week and buy a 1999 bottle of wine. And I have to write for both of them to some degree, but I'm always excited if, a, if I can find a 25, 20 buck wine, that's truly extraordinary. I mean, this is, this, this Moulin Avant is a wonderful wine and it's not terribly expensive. And it's interesting because it's a Burgundy producer who's moved, who has now proper down to Beaujolais and, and it's, it's in it's one part of what brought this to mind. It's a it's a it's a way to get towards Burgundy without being in Burgundy and paying less for it. Thank That's you. That's really interesting. And I think some of the Napa producers going into like Paso Robles and, and Sonoma have had similar things. So that's a cool idea for another okay. show. Your thumbs up and thumbs down for today, past weeks, next weeks. Jimmy, start. Oh my goodness. Uh well, I mean, obviously coming to Hogwarts and Hogsmeade has been a definite stuff. <laughs> it's been amazing. No, it's been wonderful to have a week off with my kids. Thank you very much to my team who's holding down the fort while I'm gone. Um, so that's my huge thumbs up. Thumbs down is that, um, wow, I've actually had a dry week because the choices here are so horrendous. <laughs> no matter how much I wanted a glass of wine, I couldn't do it. Okay, good for your soul. Akosh? Okay, so for me, first of all, is my daughter got an amazing result on her ACTs. Yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that was, I think I was more 10 times happier than I was for my own GMAT result when it came back when I was applying to INSEAD. So that just shows you. And um, yeah, thumbs down. I can't give you anything. I've been in Montalcino for the last three days and now I've been eating Great. cinghiale. So I just say, you know, viva Italia. So, <laughs> <laughs> grazie, grazie. Ray? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'd say thumbs up is that I leave next week for Italy to go to Tuscany where I'm going to follow exactly what Akos <laughs> is doing. <laughs> so I hope to you know, help the wild boar population reduce there too. Um, and then thumbs down. Um, the only thumbs down is that, is that um, we're, all, we're all back in the office now and the, and the scheduling, well, there's plenty of thumbs down in the world, but this is my thumbs down. Um, the scheduling software for this wine room, which in theory I oversee, seems to have been found out by every other magazine brand here. And so there's people trying to schedule meetings in my wine room all the time, which is just driving me nuts. <laughs> so yeah, that's, wine a, room. That's, a, that's a terrible <laughs> thumbs down. You'll have, to bleep, you. you'll have to bleep me on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you, Jamie, Akosh, and Ray. We see you all in three weeks on April the 28th. Thank you. Good evening, Tanisha. So today you're going to tell us everything about one of our most favorite varietals, which is Grenache. Yes. Well, not every everything, because there's so much to be said about this grape. So I'm just going to give a (laughs) high level overview situation. Okay. Oh, was that my cue? I'm supposed to go. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Today's my first day. I don't know how any of this works. Yeah, it's okay. We'll, We'll lead you on. Please tell us everything you can as a primer on Grenache. So Grenache is a very old variety and it's undergone several mutations that affect the color. That's why you have the Grenache Blanca, Grenache Roja, Grenache uh, Grenache Gris, and all of um, that kind of thing. But they all show the same DNA profile. Uh, It also has many different names. It is Grenache in Spain. It is Grenache in France. In Italy, it is Candanao. I had to look up the proper pronunciation of that. And then Tokai Rosso in the Veneto area of Northern Italy. There was some argument that it might have been an Italian grape instead of a Spanish grape. Some people were saying that maybe it came from Sardinia at first and not from Spain, but this was uh, challenged by some Spanish researchers and some Italian researchers. But Sardinia was attached to Spain some time ago. (laughs) And that was where the, that's where all of the discussion or whatever came in, but they're like, no, it's really Spanish in origin. So leave it alone. Um, It, it, leave it alone. That's so from, from the land of Pepe Raventos. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It is one of the world's most planted grape varieties um, uh, because it can thrive in hot, dry climates, which is something that is actually good right now because the world is experiencing such uh, climate change and droughts and things like that are increasingly common. Um, uh, You would think that you would see more Garnacha and Grenache on labels, though, but you don't see it as often. It is more blended. At least I know in France it is. It's more blended with um, Syrah, Mauvedra, um, or Monastrel to get that GSM blend, which is one of my favorite, favorite blends. Generally spicy, berry flavor, soft on the palate, fairly high in alcohol content, uh, red fruit flavors, subtle white pepper spice on the nose. Unfortunately, Grenache is uh, highly prone to oxidation, so I have to be a little careful for that. When it ages, it takes on more leather tar flavors. And I mentioned before that Grenache is very widely grown. Grenache already mentioned that it is in France and Spain and Italy. You will also find Grenache in Croatia, Turkey, Cyprus, Malta, Morocco, Algeria, and Israel. California, Washington State, Oregon, Arizona, (laughs) Texas. Mexico, Argentina, Peru, Chile, Australia, and Lebanon. So basically, it's the whole world. So you find Grenache, Garnacha, Canada on the planet Earth is where you find it. Okay, fair enough. Pepe, do you like Grenache? I love Grenache. Okay, so you always like it. <laughs> I was, like, I was nervous. I, I thought it was going to be like, oh my gosh, it is the worst. Why did you have her talk about this? 
and then he hangs up. Okay, let's see. Let's see what our 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 our, our uh, audience uh, likes about. Do you like Grenache? It's okay, forty three percent. I adore it, fifty seven percent, and nobody doesn't like it. So that's a good thing. Do you feel like you're missing out not drinking more Grenache? Thirty percent are saying yes. 57% are saying no. Now that you mention it, 14%. <laughs> well, people drink enough, so they're not missing out. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. that's what it is. I they're guess like so. We drink enough of it. But do you, have, do, you have, do you have a lot of Grenache that come just like a single varietal in the bottle and, or they're not very suited for that kind of production? You're asking Pepe, right? No, I'm asking you. Oh, me? <laughs> yes. Like I make wine. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. I most often see it blended. I okay. don't see it um, single variety often, even though I do have one that, that is from um, Vontu that is 100% Grenache, but it isn't something that I see too often. Okay. Pepe, do you, do you see a lot of uh, single varietal uh, wine made of Grenache or they're mostly, mostly blended as well? No, definitely a lot of, of single ones and, and especially more in Spain. Um, uh, of course, uh, what uh, my friend Alvaro is doing in Priorat for a very long time, um, uh, but now, uh, you know, in Rioja, uh, single, uh, single Grenache, Quinón uh, de Valmira, amazingly delicate, the revolution in Gredos uh, near Madrid, in the, in the Sierra de Ávila, all those uh, Grenache monovarietals are phenomenal, uh, Grenaches from Ampurda in northern Catalonia, so yeah. Yeah, I'm actually working on a single Grenache as well. Oh, okay. I'm looking All forward right. to that. Well, one. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs> Get it. When, it. when is it due? When you think? Uh, I think uh, maybe by the end of 23, we're going to release that for the uh, 2018. It's uh, recently bottled. Oh, nice. Okay. Nice. Put that in my, um, in my calendar. So I can yes, sure we're that putting is. that down. Um, in your wine minute today, you're going to be talking about your thoughts, you know, about young people and wine as we were discussing this in on court. Uh, so whenever you're ready. With that, I just wanted to, I guess, just kind of piggyback on what Jamie, Ray and Akash were talking about earlier, because um, in part of my work, I am also a professor and I speak with college students about wine. And listening to some of the things that they're saying as far as what they're drinking, I think when you are of a certain age, you're in college, you're not drinking necessarily for appreciation of it. You're drinking it to get drunk or to look cool with your friends. So I don't think you're looking at high end things. I think as they get older, then they will move into when they get more money, their flavor palette and their tastes and things like that. Those will change. And then they may move into drinking high end things. I think back to when I was younger. Um, I didn't drink wine, but I was drinking liquor, cheap liquor, cheap vodka, terrible gin, the bottom of the barrel tequila, all gross. And some of those things I can't drink to this day because they were terrible and cheap. But now I drink better because I'm older and I have more money. That's your minute. <laughs> That's it. Always on the dot. Thumbs up and thumbs down. Thumbs up. Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed by the Senate and she is the first black woman in history yes. to be nominated and to be to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States. That happened maybe like a couple hours ago. <laughs> Very excited about that. Yes. That just happened. So because of that, there is literally no thumbs down. Okay. There is not a thumbs down. That Very is, good. Right. Both thumbs up.
Tanisha Townsend, thank you very much. We'll see you on April 28th. And now last but not least, have a drink with me with our special guest, Pepe Raventos. Good evening, Pepe. What a marvelous pleasure to welcome you to the Wine Hour. Cheers again. <laughs> Cheers and thank you. The, the first question that comes to my mind is, is, is always with such a long history. And you were mentioning and that your family is, is, is probably one of the oldest winemaking family, at least recorded uh, winemaking family in the world, starting in 1497 and the new 21st generation. How big of a weight is that? <laughs> Or not at all? <laughs> Um, I, I think it's, I think it's rather than a weight, it's a, it's a wig because uh, uh, there's an energy in, here in, in the farm um, that, you know, it makes us breathe, you know, it makes us uh, breathe wine and, 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 and feel wine and, and it's fantastic. Then also every, every generation has to start from scratch and, and learn everything, no? And make a lot of mistakes. So, um, uh, I mean, like, like any other thing in the world. So, so you take it, so you, it's okay. It's just the family is the family. What I'm doing is what I'm doing, in a sense. No, of, co of course. And, 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 you know, it's like there are these things that are, uh, that are very beautiful, like, you know, uh, the testimony of the grandparents that sometimes very beautiful when you jump one generation. And uh, probably if it weren't for my grandmother, I wouldn't be living in the farm, you know, maybe I would be doing something else. So, so like this, this, this testimony that passes from grandparents to grandchildren, skipping your parents that you always hate and they, they say they sometimes understand you. And, uh, you know, it's yeah, like, like other things. Yeah, because the, it's, it's a question I've been asking. We had a few guests that had very long history, like Philippe de Lursalus and, and uh, Laura Catena. And, and, and one of the questions was, were you really attracted from the beginning to go into wine or you wanted to do something else and then something has drawn you? Because I read somewhere that you did some social work to start with and then you went back to wine. Yeah, in, in my case, it was very easy because um, uh, uh, I started my career in social work. It's a big passion, and, 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 but we were having a lot of difficulties in the winery. So uh, it was more of like, okay, I'm going to go help my dad. You know, we're having a tough situation here. And, uh, and of course, uh, and then you connect you know, with, with your childhood, with your times uh, uh, harvesting here in the place, with your memories as a, as a, as a child. And, uh, and uh, you, you start to, to, to connect. You know? and, and, of course, you're helping in a business that is fantastic. Maybe one of the most passionate businesses is to work Uh, to work with nature to make uh, such a beautiful uh, uh, um, uh, thing, a bottle of wine. No? So it's easy to fall in love with. And then I was super, super lucky to go to make wine with some uh, people that have become, after the years, I realized very important to me, like, for example, in 2004, Harvest with Didier de Renault in Saint-Andelaine, uh, Puy Fumé, that was really, really inspiring with a... Uh, Uh, Hubert Lamy, uh, with Olivier, the Lamy family in Saint Aubin, in Bruni. So, so, and then you, you get into wine and then you cannot leave it. You know what I want to tell you? What is the biggest attraction of working? Because it's not always easy, and, and especially in, in the setting you have, it's not just winemaking. 
there's so many different components into you know there's a whole universe that you are taking care of i mean for me for me what's fantastic is is that than than the nature part and i think i think this is this is the the progress that i see in the world going back a little bit to the early conversation no i think uh, uh the world i want i'm an optimistic although my thumbs down is for example ukrainian moment now but 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 the world is progressing and it's progressing into towards uh, taking care of 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 nature uh, at least i see i see uh, an inflection no and i think wine business is also into that and taking care of nature um and and the other one is really to to share no to share wealth to share uh uh with 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 everybody and, and and i think this is this is very important here at home um we are simply recuperating the traditions that the family has been doing for hundreds of years and uh, trying to move away from the era of confusion where we try to exploit a little bit the soils and 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 uh, and, and and we're seeing fantastic results on on going back to plowing with the horses on going back to uh having the this full uh, working vegetable gardens uh, herd of sheep and goat like really uh, uh, what we call uh, uh, biosynergies which is pushing biodynamics to the next level if you want would you see yourself back in a city working you know behind a um, desk and <laughs> i have never done this uh, um, but uh, I'm, a, i'm more of an action person no but uh, yeah i mean this is this is this is it it's yeah, waking up in the morning and being in nature is really cool Yeah there's a there was a question from the from the our our Telegram community uh, and I thank you Ming for 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 the question and it was about uh you know the story that has been created by your family over you know hundreds of years and creating building the brand and the story itself and the reason why you started a new uh DO uh denominacion d'origen uh so you went out from the Cava DO in 2012 uh to create your own uh conca del rio danoya why yeah i, I mean I, i mean i spent quite a lot of time in the united states uh um as a student and and after the professionally and you taught me don't hate the players change the game so uh you know <laughs> um i mean it, it was and it was it was a great a great uh, a great teaching because um i mean cava has become a fantastic uh a valley for money sparkling wine maybe the, the the best valley for money sparkling wine in the world however my passion for for terroir for understanding the notion of soil and climate and and the place with my probably mistaken idea that we, we can make the most mineral sparkling wines on planet earth here if we work well with a charello macabeo parellada um uh, again fostering biodiversity trying to find a balance in the nature and not not being us the protagonist I mean I think the potential is huge so we needed to change that frame to to help people understand that there is another way to make sparkling wines and that they can offer an amazing balance with minimal intervention I mean wine is Mediterranean and we are in a gifted place a vine is like an olive tree isn't it Yes how was the reception when you decided to move out Estás loco I mean <laughs> I mean, Or it I was just little, like, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm the black sheep a little bit uh, still today here in the area, but I would ten uh, years later uh, still do the same. And I must say that the, the wine people that love wine around the world they have strong supporters of of of, of that vision, if you want. And and now that you have made that steps, you're ex, you're exploring things. So. 
there is this part where you create things in your garage. Now, the garage, is it like the entrepreneur garage or it's a real garage or it's a, uh, where you create your wines under, under the uh, Pepera Ventos wine? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real garage. And, you know, we have plenty of space. So I think the cars are, can, can be outside and, <laughs> and it's better to keep this, this more isolated and sterile and easy to control uh, a place, you know. And uh, so, so, I mean, this is where, it's, where it's the lab for the natural wines. And, um, you know, natural sometimes has been a little controversial because wines get a little bit uh, uh, dirty or funky or difficult to understand. But but uh, also the, the establishment is very against the natural wine because, um, uh, you know, it's the most difficult wine to make. And, and, and that's why a lot of people don't make natural wine because to make a natural wine that is showing well its origin and everything is very, very difficult. You have to be very precise. The vineyards have to be extremely healthy. You have to pick at the right moment and you need to spend a lot, a lot of time. And uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, for me, it's very challenging. It's like climbing an 8,000 without uh, oxygen, you know, and uh, it's the ultimate challenge of the alpinist. And till now, are you happy with the results or there are still things that you are pursuing, looking at? I think Charello, when we started to make that idea, influenced by friendship at Jura, especially with, uh, with uh, Piero Benoit, now with Manu and Anu Yon family, I mean, uh, we brought this to the Charello and I think Charello expresses in, in a huge way. I mean, because we are so gifted that the pH is very low at harvesting here, that this is that, the, the, the way that you can really um, work with minimal, minimal intervention and the wine is much richer. At the same time, it's very fresh and, and, and very stable. No? So I think for Charello is is fantastic. So there, there are there are three main wines. So there are your your creations that you that you compare to art. I like that comparison. Uh, no, I get... don't. Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll, I'll I'll get back to that point. Then there's the Raventosi Blanc, which is mostly are the sparkling wines. And then there's the Cam uh, Samoy. You pronounce mm -hmm. uh, pronounce properly, okay? Kansumoi, uh, Kansumoi, which are which are the, the the still wines. Correct, correct. So so um, here in the northern Penedès we make uh, Raventos y Blanc, and it's hundred percent sparkling wine. Um, uh, then uh, there is this little innovation garage, which it doesn't count as a seller because I make a few thousand bottles, but it's a very small volume, so I can risk a lot. But then there is Kansumo, is our uh, new emerging and, 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 and very strong uh, um, new venture in the South Penedes, which is an area known more for the steel wines. And this property abandoned at 600 meters above sea level, that's what, like 2,000 feet, no sea level, um, abandoned, like found us like crazy people that wanted to take care of this. So, we buy this property in 20, what is property, 2017, 2016, make the first 2017 vintage. And we are recuperating little by little. This year we planted two hectares more of Grenache and Sumoy. And um, yeah, and it's, it's a spectacular project, a little bit southern of, of where we are now. In your uh, music selection, you've chosen Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Why, why have you chosen that song? What a great idea. 
is to is to is to mix this this music and the, and the, and a wine talk eh? and one, this is this is fantastic and also because it is a selection so you keep the the host really 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 plugged in no it's it's wonderful no? I, I mean I, I grew up with Bruce Springsteen you know so I mean uh, it was like my my uh, best friend had an older brother ten years older and he uh, recorded a cassette. I don't know if you remember those cassettes. Yeah, one yeah, one, one size was uh, Bruce Springsteen and the other side was uh, Die Straight. So uh, I grew oh. up with these two groups a lot. Yeah. yeah. The uh, Telegraph Road, uh, people who will be able to listen to this one on the, on, on the <laughs> Spotify playlist. Um, but there's something about this music because one of the things about the music as well is, is there's a lot of soul in, in, in the kind of music you've chosen are so diverse. But there's one common factor. It's the soul in it. Fantastic. So going back to wine, the segue to wine, do you see the same emotions when you work with wine, when you create wine, as when you listen to music? I think uh, around 15 years ago, I had like a bit of a spiritual moment where uh, helping me... Uh, Uh, have a more spiritual approach and philosophical approach to making wine than a commercial one. And it was very liberating because <laughs> I was kind of like trying to make a perfect wine, perfect wine, you know, and trying to, to, to rival with champagne and such. And suddenly, like, it's like, no, this is not the way, no? So the way is really to, to, to flow with, with the place where you are and trying to understand it and try to, to get like passionate with the small things in, in, your, in, your, in your farm, in your terroir and everything. And, 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 and abandon this idea of the perfect wine. The perfect wine is an absurd idea. It doesn't exist, you know? So I kind of like think this approach of trying to make an honest wine, uh, an honest representation of this place, um, uh, falling in love with the little details, making vintage every single wine that we make. All the sparkling wines are vintage dated. And suddenly the wine started to like um, become bigger in a, in, in, a, in a philosophical way, you know? And, and people are really like adoring this and, And suddenly, you know, realizing that this is a true alternative uh, to greatest grower champagnes, which I have many friends. So, so um, yeah, if you want to call it soul, I like it. Because you, you like, you use the word authenticity, to be authentic, to do authentic wines. Yeah, do your thing. And the rest will come. Exactly. Because it's, it's true. It, yeah. And, 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 and it works. It's working. And uh You know, first time I traveled to America to sell the wine, I thought the wine has to come uh, with an English label, you know. And then I realized that the people I start to meet and then now become good friends in Brooklyn know more about Catalan grapes than my friends from Barcelona. <laughs> so, so, so it's like, uh, this is like, a, but it's an important message, you know. How important, I know that Catalonia has a very strong culture, a very strong independent thinking, Uh, like the Basque country, like uh, Oscani. And, and how important is it to you to showcase that culture, to showcase that terroir uh, across the world? I, th I think every, every part of the world has a strong culture and has to be super proud of it and, 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 and promote it and share it, you know, because it's the richness of the, this diversity of cultures that makes a better planet no? and a richer planet. No? Uh, regarding for me, wine is 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 really about nature. So so um, nature is more simple, you know. <laughs> nature is is really 
is really humble and is really um, you know learning a lot from from the animals for example and the way they move and and you know understanding the wind and I mean there are like so many detailed things that you could get lost in them you know? so I think this is the culture in one if you want. How do you see the future? There's a lot of things happening in the world. There's a lot of, you know, climate change and, and you know, the uh, uh, social unrest and war in Ukraine. There's a lot of uncertainties. How do you see the future for uh, Ravento Blank and your work? And how do you see fitting in all this evolution, in this new world that is kind of happening? Well, um, um, I, I don't know. And, and, and uh, honestly... Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I think uh, I think the secret of life is really to 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 be where you are at uh, at full at full moment at full energy and 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 this is the gift we have. We don't know what's really going to happen tomorrow. No, um, uh, I think uh, uh, I don't know. I think we're like so happy, you know, living living here in the farm, growing our four little children. Actually, not so little because our eldest is going to college next year. So, uh, also uh, cheers to my new friend here from London. And uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's about it's about the moment. Yeah, seize the day, seize the moment. Unfortunately, we're getting close to the end uh, of the show. But before that, as usual, uh, the pivot questionnaire. So it's the first thing that comes to your mind, the first word, sentence, whatever that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is your favorite word? Love. What's your least favorite word? War. What's your favorite virtue? Generosity. What's your favorite quality in a man? Honesty. What's your favorite quality in a woman? Honesty. What wine would you use to describe yourself? Uh, wow. Uh, that's a tough one. Let's do um, Pursan from Dagenau. What's your favorite curse word in any language? Cullons. It's a Catalan uh, for uh, balls. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very close to French. <laughs> 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 What sound or noise do you love? The, the birds in the morning. What sound or noise do you hate? The trucks. The trucks, the logistic movement. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? It's called Izart in uh, Catalan. It's called Chamois in French. It's kind of a goat that lives in the Pyrenees and the Alps. I yeah, like an ibex with a very long horn. This one has a, a, a little uh, shorter one. Ones. Yeah, yeah, that go to the back. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a mountain goat. Yeah, it's a beautiful setting where they go <laughs> with <laughs> all the nature around them. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at? the pearly gates. Um, here, everybody's happy. Pepe Raventos, muchas gracias. Moltes gracias. Thank you so much. Gracias a vosotros. So this concludes the wine hour for today. Thank you for listening. Next show is on April 28. Until then, uh, drink in moderation. Be well and safe. Faith always. Goodbye.